For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as in a cave. We invite you now to join us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle, Timothy O'Donnell, and Joseph Tomasian. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, your two favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, this past week I came across an article that states that for the first time in history of the United States, the number of people who affirm a belief in God is dropping rapidly. And it's not just those who are abandoning church, but it's those who are going as far as saying there is no God. So the question is, prove to me there is a God. Okay, well, that, right. I think we can do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that's a question right up the alley for uh, for for the Catholic cave here. Absolutely, Proof, proofs for the existence of God. So, and you know, in some ways, that's kind of the quote unquote holy grail of philosophy, and always mm-hmm. has been. Um, you know, the founding of philosophy goes back to you know before Socrates, before Plato, to the pre-Socratics, to to Thales of Miletus. I think he's the one usually given uh, credit for sort of for being first, right? For yeah. being first, and and once again, you know, his questioning of the universe because that's kind of what he started off doing. It some in some ways goes back to that question: Is there really an unchanging divine element among the world, or are there just all of these stories that the different nations and different countries and different nationalities have about gods? He kind of li- listened to all of the myths and tried to figure out: Okay, what's what is constant in all of these myths, and therefore, what can I kind of look at as as true? I mean, he was also an astro an astronomer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he, uh, he 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 I think very famously fell into a pit while he was uh, looking. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> looking uh, looking <laughs> up at the happen, stars, right? especially exactly. back in the old days. <laughs> and and you know how he made his money because he was a rich man. You know how oh. he made his money? No, he 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 was an olive merchant. Oh yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you need them. You make olive oil, exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can uh, sell a little. But he wasn't like Don Corleone. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. He, that was part of one of his businesses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. no, no. So Thales of Miletus, though, um, you know, he was trying to look at all of the opinions that people had about the gods and trying to figure out, okay, what is what is solid and what is what is true and. Um, you know, yeah, kind of permanence and change, maybe. Yeah, you know. yeah, and and that gets into some of the other pre-Socratics, right? That was kind mm-hmm. of, I think, uh, Parmenides' um, big question of, of to to a certain extent. Okay, what is, what is, uh, what is unchangingly permanent? And and uh, you know, he kind of said, you know, actually, any notion of change that we have is only apparent because logically speaking, everything has to be constant. And once again, that kind of it kind of leads the way mm-hmm. and a pathway towards understanding that underneath everything, um, you know, kind of beyond the uh, under, under the hood, so to speak, of this this big universal automobile that, that we call existence, um, there has to be something that is unchanging, that is uncaused, right? That doesn't 
cause itself um, that is necessary. It has to be there. Um, and, and those are the types of things that we look at and we kind of say, okay, that, that has to be God. Now, yeah, yeah. That, a supreme being, a supreme being. Exactly. Right. Now as Catholics, we, we, we recognize that there's a lot more to God than just that. Right. Um, but, um, that has to come somewhat from revelation, but the, the basic understanding of God, you've got a long history within philosophy of people kind of realizing, no, you know, honestly, you can't make sense of the universe without a concept of God. Yeah, I think that's true. And, um, we, we know even from the, uh, first Vatican council, you know, states in the document that, uh, by the light of natural reason, one can come to see and affirm the truth of the existence of God. But I think we want to go back even further. You took us way back, so I, I fast-forwarded us about you know twenty, twenty-three, twenty-four hundred years. But I think where I want to, I think where I want to go, where I find really, really helpful, is uh, uh, the gold standard, Saint Thomas Aquinas. Right, Saint Thomas Aquinas's five proofs for the existence of God, which builds off of, of course, that whole tradition. But he's uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, very Augustinian. But I think you see a lot of Aristotle in his proofs. Right, right. So St. Thomas is, you know, most most famous. That's the go-to, right? Right, right. It's his Summa Theologia, right? And and the Summa was written as a, as a, as a, basically a, um, a, uh, summary, of, introduction summary introduction to, of theology, well, which is amazing too. Yeah, and it was a it was a preparation book. So it was a book of preparation yeah. for theology students before they took their exams. So it was a way to sort of sum up all of the theology classes that were being taught at the university. And he tried to collect these all in one place. So when you're looking at the proofs for the existence of God, you know Saint Thomas Aquinas is not coming up with these. He's collecting these and putting them in a way that was accessible at the time systematizing them right exactly you know and and making them you know very very much sort of in note form for his theology students so if you open up the summa and you look at those 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 first you know sort of that that first question does god exist and and then the the five proofs for the existence of god you're getting a very very short summary of these proofs. And also, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting a summary of proofs that had existed for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's super helpful. The the, the Summa Theologiae is a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a masterpiece, right? It's, it's, it's sort of the gold standard. Now, things have continued to, you know, thinking has continued and reflection and things like that. So, but it, it, it is uh, always, always worth uh, reading and referring to. Um, it can be used as both a source of knowledge, but also as uh, it's like you could read through it. Um, but it also is uh, a great reference. So one of the things that's super helpful about the way it's constructed, you you were alluding to, Mark, is that it'll raise a question. Then it, but then it, but then super in a very. I find this extremely helpful, and, and it's hard to do in conversations these days. He'll actually bring up the most. Um, difficult um, problems um, or theses that are contrary to what he eventually will offer us. So these are objections. So he'll list objections like, okay, to the question, does God exist? And then in the Summa, he will go through the very best arguments 
saying denying the existence of God. So he'll lay those out, then he'll reply to those, and then he'll then he then he pivots and he offers his proofs for the existence of God and his conclusion. So it's extremely helpful the way books just are not written that way. It's extremely helpful because you really don't know. I would say you really it, you really don't know a subject matter um, like to like a theological or philosophical question until you've heard at least two sides of it, right? A for and against. It's you know to put it in very kind of basic terms that lays out um, that lays out all these arguments. Gives you a very rich response. Rather than just saying, oh, well, God exists and here's the reasons why, it's like, let's also go through first. He goes through first why it's uh, those, what are the best arguments to, de- to deny it? Right. And, and it's written that way because that was the way, it, you know, the medieval, um, medieval sort of classroom. Yeah. Um, education. And, and, and honestly, yeah. a classroom is probably a, a stretch, but um, sort of the, the medieval format. Yeah, it doesn't look like a classroom like we would have Right, today. exactly. So basically, <laughs> you you know, the, these questions were not part of the syllabus, so to speak, that were drawn up by the professor, right? So these were not questions that St. Thomas Aquinas came up with. These were questions that very often came from Peter Lombard's book of sentences. Right. Um, and so that was kind of the, the standard theology textbook. But then those questions were taken and sort of the, the younger students. So, you know, you could say you're, you're, you're freshmen and sophomores. And if you wanted to translate it into today's um, speak, they took the objections to these, these set sentences. And once again, everybody knows the answer, right? Does God exist? You're, I mean, you're in a medieval Catholic university. Everybody knows that the answer to this question is yes, right? Yeah. So there's really no such thing as an atheist at right, that time. Exactly. Yeah. So, so everybody knows the answer, but the, the underclassmen were basically tasked with arguing the contrary to it. And so those are the, those are the objections that, mm-hmm. that St. Thomas, those are the best contrary arguments that it's are almost like there. a debate format right? right it's and and once again you know the summa when you're reading it you know this is a the, the, this is a, a compendium and a summary so those objections there's usually a long history of argument and a a, a lot oh, yeah. of philosoph- philosophical background to these objections so it's just a summary statement to a certain extent of okay so the, the, there's objection one it's this objection two is this objection three is this and the student's job was to flesh that out and present that. So they presented first the objections, and then next the upperclassmen were given the job of arguing in the affirmative for the sentence. And so once again, what you have is a summary of the very best traditional arguments that are there to argue for um, whatever that question is. And then finally afterwards, the professor would walk in, and he would give his statement and he would tie it back to scripture usually because it's a theology mm-hmm. class right yeah so you tie it back to but then he would also give his own thoughts and his own ideas on it um and that and that's exactly the way each of those questions within the summa is laid out so it follows very strictly you know when when you first encounter it as a modern reader you're like wow that's sort of a weird way to address a subject right, right. but if you step back into a, a medieval university it makes perfect sense this is exactly step by step the way all of these questions were, were were fleshed out yeah and i think in today's setting too it's 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 rare so i know you teach i teach it's it's rare that you come across a student it's a little contingent upon age 
but it's rare that you come across a student where you bring up a, a topic or a subject that uh, has connections to, say, uh, philosophy, a big, big questions like the existence of God, things like that, or what, what is the good, things like that, morality, things like that. That a student can, um, it's very rare that a student can give you um, both sides of the argument and do it well. And one of the uh, one of the really difficult parts, I think, is that we're in a we're in a setting where disagreement um, is is really not welcome at all. And anyone who dis and over some of these topics, say you know, say abortion. As someone who ta- if you take if you don't agree with my view of abortion, there's a strong propensity to demonization. Yeah, and you know we have a different view of authority as well. So um, you know there was a oh yeah, there is no authority, right? Really. Exactly. And so I'm you know, my own authority, right? Exactly. And so our education system is is really designed to pull out you know students' own opinions about things rather than teach them sort of the authoritative you know statements right. on what these things are. All right, and we need to take a break, and we'll be back with more on the Catholic Cave right after this. One day, one voice shared one message and one man who provides one way to God. Maybe that's why we have one objective. Share Jesus, the one who loves, saves, and forgives. Catholic Radio Indy. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just wanted to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers and Al Crestus sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400 and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Timothy O'Donnell with Mark Tuttle. Kent Blanford, our trusty sidekick and producer, is here as well. We are uh, exploring the question for the existence of God. Does God exist? And so in this segment, we're going to lay out uh, St. Thomas's Aquin- Thomas Aquinas's five proofs for the existence of God. Are you ready, Mark? I am. Let's go. Uh, okay, it's going to have a quiz. It's going to have a, a quiz show feel to it. You ready? All right. All right. Here I'm going to throw throw them out. I'm going to throw one out at you All right. with some features and then you respond. Okay, the first way uh for the proof for the existence of God is one based on motion. Right. It sounds like this, okay? It says all bodies are either potentially in motion or actually in motion. And then from the Summa, but nothing can be reduced from potentiality to actuality except by something in a state of actuality, unquote. Nothing can be at once in both actuality and potentiality in the same respect. Therefore, nothing can be at once in both actuality and potentiality with respect to motion. Therefore, nothing can move itself it must be put into motion by something else. If there were no first mover moved by no other, there would be no motion. But there is motion. Therefore, there is a first mover. That mover we call God. Right. So okay, the, so that's, that's, 
That's quite in depth. That's a syllogism. Yeah, yeah. That the, it's it's a syllogism, and it's a syllogism that comes pretty directly from Aristotle, which I I, I I've always yes. been sort of fascinated by that. That I mean, Aquinas just jumps right in there and throws out Aristotle, which right. was which was highly controversial. Um, and, and during his lifetime, because because yeah. I think even after he died, they didn't like it. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> challenged, yep, challenged exactly. His so the, the the argument from motion. First off, when when Saint Thomas is talking about motion, he's not talking about locomotion, right? So locomotion is is movement from one place to yeah, another, traversing a distance. Right. He's talking about the motion as he puts it from potentiality to actuality. In other words, the the ability for something to become something else the ability for something to change. And I love the fact that he kind of starts with this because this is the most, and to me, this is the most common sense of the, the five proofs or five ways of showing God's existence, because we're all familiar that with the idea that, that things change. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing really in this world does seem to stay the same. You know, we mentioned Parmenides and, and, you know, the pre-Socratics, you know, it's a question that goes back even, even to them of, and, and, you know, their question was, okay, if things seem to change, um, are they really changing or is everything staying the same all the time? Or is everything in a state of flux, right? Heraclitus was the, the great philosopher oh, right, of flux. Right. Everything's changing all the time. You can't right. step in the, the, the same river at the same time. So what St. Thomas is taking is just that sort of ordinary, everyday idea that things change. I always like to think of leaves, right? So leaves on a tree. We all recognize mm-hmm. autumn comes and those leaves on a tree, they, they start to 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 turn brown and they start to turn colors, they change, right? And, right. And so, you know, what St. Thomas uses is the word of potentiality to actuality, right? So the fact that I think in our minds we've experienced this change in the past leads us to recognize that state of actuality that those leaves can change into. We we anticipate it, right? We're waiting for fall. We look forward to we it even. We look forward to it because we know that those leaves are going to become yellow mm-hmm. and brown, but they're not right now. We're, you know, in the middle of summer, they are green. And so they're not quite yet. They haven't moved to being that yellow or brown, but we know that they can. So the fact that there's a state that they can move to, that they're not mm-hmm. yet, either means one of two things. Either they're changing themselves and they're, they're, they're becoming brown and yellow totally of their own doing, or something else is causing them to change, right? And so what St. Thomas is saying is we all experience these types of changes and we all recognize that, well, something had to change it, right? I mean, just common Mm -hmm. sense says something had to be behind the fact that these leaves changed. And you can start to track that back and you can say, well, you know, their chlorophyll, um, you know, was, was no longer being produced. And so they don't have chlorophyll. Okay. So what caused the chlorophyll not to be produced? Well, you know, there, there's certain, there are certain plant hormones that trigger the trees. Not okay. So what caused those hormones? Where did they come from? Well, there's certain chemicals that fit together to, to cause those. Well, what caused that you, you can go back to, and look at the causes of things in what would seem an infinite chain, but logically that doesn't make sense. Behind all of these changes, there has to be something 
that is causing this change that doesn't change itself. And as St. Thomas famously says, that's what we call God. This un, this unmoved mover, this this thing that that causes change but can't change in itself. Yeah, that's a, that's a good explanation. It actually relates to it begins to um, move us towards the second proof which is actually called the efficient cause. So the first one motion you're right it's it's potent things that ha- things have potential that then become actualized and then the second proof is, of or second way is efficient causes. Causes meaning um, so th- you like you're you were starting to describe cause and effect, right? And so things don't things have um uh, prior causes. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'll bring in a uh, pop culture for a second on this one. Pop culture, there was a, uh, I think it was, I think it was Netflix before I canceled Netflix um, <laughs> for moral reasons. Um, and that is, there was this, uh, this uh, series, you know, I don't know, five seasons long or whatever, uh, maybe not quite that one, shorter one called Devs, D E V S, like short for development. And the whole premise of the show was caught that the whole world was determined by cause and effect. Right. And so it was a super, they had built a super sophisticated uh, computer, and the computer was able to work backwards in time, uh, taking in all the data of the current state of affairs and then accounting for all, for each prior cause. Uh, that resulted in the effect that you see here today. I mean, identify the prior cause of that, then the prior cause of that, of which it was an effect, Bob, all the way back in time. So what it allowed, the premise of the show was that, one, everything was determined by cause and effect completely, and as a result of that, it could predict the future because now you have, you're looking at the current state of affairs, well, those are causes for what effects come up next. I bring that up because cause and effect, the way St. Thomas Aquinas is using, as I understand, I want to get your take on this, Mark, is he's saying, well, yeah, you you can't go back to what's called an infinite regress in time. And you were you're starting you were starting to bring that up. In other words, there's a point, it's it's a it's a it's illogical to look at the past as infinite. Like infinite is a abstract concept in mathematics infinity doesn't exist in reality everything in reality has a a a limit to it so even going back in time one one posits back to what we would say the beginning would be what the uh, the big bang and then there's estimates as to you know what the timing of that all is so the question so when i hear this this second way of causes, everything has a prior cause, but something's got to get the whole thing started. That to me is goes back to the first. The first cause is the uncaused or uncaused cause is God. That's the proof that that something, time and space and motion can't bring it. Nothing from nothing, nothing comes. So to go from nothing to existence. You need a first cause. Is that yeah. how you understand that argument? You know, actually, I think the second one is also a, a much more mundane, everyday example of of things. I don't think St. Thomas, when he's talking about efficient cause, necessarily means 
temporal causes, right? So I, I don't think he's looking at, at going all the way back to like the beginning of the universe and, and talking about some sort of, um, you know, the, the, well, he wouldn't have the, had the big bang theory. You're right. Correct. But he would right. have had the creation story right. Right. But, out of Genesis. Yeah, he, he would have, but I think he's talking about, um, you know, things, the, the efficient cause being that which brings things into being right. So, and, and once again, we experience that there's new things, right? We, we, we experience new things that, that things oh, kind yeah. of come into being. And like go, our first grandchild. Right, exactly. Like two months ago, he didn't I, exist. Right. Well, so, he was in the womb, so I have to really go back further. So yep. let's just say a year and a half ago, he didn't really exist. Yep, exactly. And and, and now here he is. And every day there's new things that, 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 that come up. We recognize this, right? Um, and so the first proof is that movement of of change that, that we see that things things change mm-hmm. and that things can't change themselves there has to be something once again it's not temporal right all mm-hmm. of this is i mean those leaves are you know those leaves are, are turning brown in a rough moment of time i mean okay over a few weeks um but everything that's causing that everything that's causing that change is all kind of happening all at once so when mm-hmm. you look at the the element of change it's not a temporal change it's a movement from what that leaf is to what that leaf could be it's a movement from an, one state of being for the leaf to another state of being for the leaf is it like right? a kind of becoming it's a becoming exactly like a green banana to a yellow banana right exactly okay. yep so so there's a becoming the efficient cause is uh, you know when you go back to aristotle's four causes that efficient cause is that initial motion that brings some type of change about Right, so it's mm-hmm. a it's a, a specific type of, of parents bringing forth offspring. Right, parents bringing forth offspring, or you know, if you if you go back to the four causes, we always talk about tables when we talk about four causes, right? I've never understood that. That's like the textbook <laughs> definition of the four causes. Why are we always talking about tables? But anyway, if you go back to tables, um, the efficient cause is the carpenter's initial actions to build that table, right? So so the moment that carpenter decides he's going to st- start to saw a board that's the efficient cause right that's the right that's the that's the motion that starts to bring about the table so what saint thomas is talking about here is that we see new things all the time and as we see new things come into existence we recognize that well they can't really bring themselves into existence there has to be something that's bringing them and once again you're right you can't have an eternal regress of going back and back and back to things that are constantly being brought into existence unless there's something that's always in existence that has the power to bring other things into existence. Right. And once again, Thomas says, that's what we call God. And with that, we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more on The Catholic Cave. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that, and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now, just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs, too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything. 
but I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. In the meantime, I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm still Timothy O'Donnell, your contingent host, and Mark Tuttle is here. He's the necessary member. Oh, <laughs> oh I see what you did there, Tim. Right. Yes. So we are talking about um, Thomas Aquinas's five ways of proving or, or demonstrating the existence of God. And uh, the third one is the argument from contingency. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Sort of smuggled in uh, a little vocab on you. Okay, so pot, so contingency and necessity. How, how does that argument kind of go in your mind? Right, and this the, this is probably, I would say, the most medieval of the, the, yes, the five ways. Yes, we love of, the medieval, though. Right. So That's this not is, a pejorative in the Catholic cave. Right. It's a compliment. And, and once again, like all of them, you know, St. Thomas is kind of starting from common everyday experience of, of what we see. And we see things come into existence, and we see things go out of existence. And because that, we recognize that there are some things that are dependent on other things. And then you get to the question of, well, are there some things that are not dependent on other things? So, um, so you know, you, you have to have a little bit of a metaphysical outlook, I think, to, to kind of get to the, to the idea of, me, of contingent being versus necessary being, because you got to get an idea of what being is. So, um, Tim, how would you describe being for the, for, for the sake of discussing contingency and necessity? I would say for those, for that purpose, I would say, uh, an object that exists in reality. Okay. An object that exists in reality, like my cup of coffee. But being doesn't necessarily need to be an object, right? I mean, you, you can have unformed being to a certain extent. I guess, I guess that's interesting. I guess for the, for the part of this proof though, right? he's really kind of talking, I think he's really talking about object again kind of objects that exist in reality and how do you account for them the, that they're there the contingency part is things that we see that there are objects in the world so like this cup of coffee i'm i'm drinking but there's nothing about that cup of coffee that require that demands or requires of reality its own existence like right. reality can just chug along just fine without that cup of coffee having come into existence here because I made it, right? I used the machine to brew it. There's a cup that I use and I could, so, but it didn't have to be, it doesn't have to, it's not necessary. It's contingent, contingent upon the actions that were taken to bring it about. And so that's what, I think that's, again, these all seem kind of, are, are some way kind of related, um, these five ways, but this one with contingency and necessity, it points to the fact that there are, Contingent things don't have to exist, but they do exist. Right, they do. We 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 have cups of coffee right in front of us. They're there, and and you can't ever kind of once again get to the point where everything is is contingent, right? I mean, if if you ever if you ever like kind of came to the conclusion, well, you know, nothing could exist. 
but things do exist, you get to that, that, that famous thing, nothing comes from nothing, right? So the fact that there is something means it had to have come from something. And I think that's kind of the, I think that's probably the, the shorthand right. way of, right. of saying, look, not everything has to exist, but those things that don't have to exist do exist. But for them to exist, something has to explain it. Something has to be there that's creating them and causing them to exist, right? right? That couldn't be caused itself. Exactly. If that thing is necessary for everything else, then it it, it can't really be caused. It it has to be. It just simply has to be. And you know, we know from Revelation that that it simply has to be is um, what God said His name was. He said, "I am." Right. I I just I I I be. I'm the one that is. Um, and so you know, we recognize that God is the necessary being that is behind all contingent being. So I think that's probably the best way we can get it: a contingency and necessity in a. Uh, in a short way. And it really is that, that good old, I think it goes back to that good old standard. Nothing comes from nothing, right? Right. If, if you, if you have nothing, you're going to have nothing, but we don't have nothing. We have an entire universe. And so therefore something had to be for us to have the universe. That's right. Now we're going to kind of change directions a little bit, um, in terms of our thinking and go into the fourth way that uh, St. Thomas Aquinas gives us for proofs for the existence of God. Four out of five, uh, we're on. Number four, it's called, sometimes referred to, called gradation. Gradation. And it's the the logic or the, the soundness of the argument sounds something like this, where we look around at um, different objects and we see that there are, we apply terms, we notice that there are, are different grades or aspects of quality to these objects that we then apply the term good, better, best. So we can look at, um, we, we use it like, uh, say, a baseball player watching someone play baseball. You say, oh, that's, he's a good player. Um, well, that here's someone else. That's a better, there's a better shortstop. And then, oh, and then you can look across the whole league and determine, well, there's the best shortstop. But even the best short, shortstop, though, falls short of what? an ideal, right? We can have, we can, in our minds, we can picture an ideal or establish the the framework for an ideal. Like a term, I think we use triangles a lot. That comes up in philosophy. Like you can draw or manufacture a, a triangle and uh, I'm not a very good drawer. Um, so when I draw a triangle, I do get, it is a three-sided object, but the, the lines are not really straight. Right. Yeah. They're all curvy. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. right. Especially because I like to use crayons when I draw my triangles. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and yet it, there are very sophisticated, say, computer-aided de- design and manufacturing products. It can make triangles that are uh, very, very precise. But even with the, that level of, our highest level of manufacturing technology and precision, it still falls short of what, what the actual, what an ideal triangle would be based on its geometric definition, right? Because they're they have perf they have three perfectly straight lines. We can't make one. So this fourth argument points to the fact that there exist. We know there exists ideals out there. That there's a good, better, better that there's a so it's gradation is an acknowledgement of different levels of perfection: good, better, best or things that are good, better, or, say, perfect. 
and what's the most perfect of all things, that's what we refer to as God. That's that's how I see that argument. Right. And and I think that's the that's the hardest one in modern times, I think, because modern philosophy has really led most people to kind of believe that those the, those judgments of things take place in our heads, right? So even even mathematics is is something that that, that takes place internally to us. You know, there are real we we. It's seldom that you find somebody that believes that there are real triangles that are out there in the universe, right? Um, so it's, it, I think that one's the hardest one in a modern setting, but yet it's also one of the most commonsensical ones in an everyday conversation, ironically. So when you're talking with somebody and they say, well, I don't believe in God, right? It doesn't, you, you, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to come up with some sense of perfection that you can show is, is lacking. I, I always like justice, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah. The, uh, I don't do this, so uh, but I've always imagined doing this. That when somebody oh, wants okay, to, yeah. when somebody in, wants inside to, your head, when somebody wants <laughs> to argue that there is no God, I just punch them in the nose, right? And and I just keep punching them until they recognize that punching somebody is not good. Um, oh, you know, oh, you know yeah. that 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 is behaving in a way that is bad, and so if you can recognize that there's a bad, then you can recognize that there's a better, and if you recognize that there's a better, you could probably recognize that there's a best, that there's a way that that is best for us to treat each other. There is a justice out there that is not defined by us. Justice and perfect justice exists. And actually, I, I, when when you really kind of start to press somebody on it, people are very quick to recognize that this idea of perfect justice is an... Yeah, stealing's it, a good one, too. Is like. an existent <laughs> ideal, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of demonstrate that the grades of perfection exist very easily. And most people will, will acquiesce pretty quickly to this idea that there are moral really honestly moral perfections um, right yeah moral absolutes because people like to say there are no moral absolutes but they don't like to live in a world where there are no moral absolutes correct and and so you can demonstrate no there really are moral absolutes that you would be very unhappy living in a world if there weren't and once again even happiness you know that, that you recognize that something is lacking in your life um, that's once again one of these gradations you know, philosophically, I think it's probably the weakest of these five proofs. But as far as everyday use and everyday conversation, it may be one of the most useful. Yeah, I agree. The it, it's I think there's a cultural um, wind that blows against uh, blows hard against that proof because we do in our current setting we're very reluctant to make judgments of saying. Um, better or best, especially like you were talking about, like in the realms of morality or people's lifestyles or things like that. We our 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 safe zone is to say, well, that's just different. Okay, <laughs> that's just different because different is is trying to convey a kind of moral neutrality. Like, oh, uh, you know, Mark and his husband. Well, that's just a different kind of you know, different right. kind of marriage. That's all different kind of love. And, but and, it's all and, love. And we don't. You know, I don't want to judge you. Exactly. We, <laughs> we we really we. And I think that's actually probably a good moral trait. We are reluctant as human beings to want to cause somebody else discomfort. And we recognize that you know pointing yeah, out emotional that, pain for no exactly, reason. Exactly. That, that you know. 
pointing out that somebody else's life is deficient in some way causes pain, right? I right. mean, it, and so we we try to we try to steer away. We're, from we're that. also cautioned against it too in that parable about um, about having you know before you go ahead and try to pull the splinter out of your neighbor's eye, pull the log or lumber, depending on your train, out of your own. So we ought to be very cautious and careful. Um, even though it is a spiritual work of mercy, you know, to admonish the sinner, we should be do it with all humility and prudence because we recognize ourselves that we ourselves are sinners. Right. But that's just because we're sinners doesn't, doesn't, uh, absolve or remove or delete the fact that there are moral absolutes and, and moral perfection is something we're striving after. Even if we fall short, we can still point to the goal or the ideal, pick ourselves up or pick our neighbor up and keep going forward. All right, and so we, we've gone through four of the proofs for the existence of God, and we've got one final one. And one final segment, too. And one final, final argument. Okay, this is exciting. It's like a game show, Kent. And with that, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more on The Catholic Cave. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. You know us as Catholic Radio Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a voice for the church that's seldom heard in our chaotic world. We're confirmation for the strong of faith and encouragement and answers for those in doubt. We're there to rejoice with your triumphs and to be a voice of consolation through the dark times. We're a voice for vocations and proudly pro-life. We are Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave for one final segment here with Timothy O'Donnell and Mark Tuttle. And yes. we are talking about the five proof. We've got one right. final segment, though, and, and one final way of, of showing the existence of God. And guess what it's called, Tim? What? It's called the proof of finality. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the last way is is um, recognizing that things have final causes. So, yeah. um, and that for everything to have a final cause, something must sort of be there as a, a universal sort of final cause. So this is the argument from purpose, purposefulness, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go back to Aristotle's four causes. The final cause is really the the purpose that something came into being, right? Or I guess more more importantly, it's sort of ordered tendency, right? Because, you know, Aristotle yeah. even talks about um, the purpose of flint, right? So flint has a tendency to create sparks. So because it has that tendency, 
you know, he labels that as a final cause. So when we, when we're attributing final causes to things, we're not necessarily saying that's their purpose so much, but just their ordered tendency, right? So you can look at this, this last proof in, in a few different ways. Um, first you can look at it is that there is order in the universe. There are set patterns and set tendencies that exist mm -hmm. and continue to exist and persist. So Think, I, things are intelligible, right? I call this the argument against David Hume. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm always up for barbecue and David Hume. So lay it out, yeah, brother. Yeah. So you know, David Hume basically said, you know, we can't really connect an action to its consequence, right? right. So, um, so we really can't know that causes exist. And when he's talking about causes, he's talking about these final causes, right? If I threw, a, if I threw a brick through a window. We know it would shatter, right? Because that is that, I mean, that's the tendency that a brick has. It's a heavy object and heavy objects going through plate glass tend to tend toward that glass shattering. We right. know this, right? right. Um, that's the sort of final causation of that brick. Um, they, they have a tendency to, to, to cause things to, mm -hmm. to break. Um, when you hurl at them. When you, when you hurl them at things, right? I mean, I mean, you could say, I mean, the, the, uh, it's true, a brick is a man-made object that its real purpose is to build things out of, right. but when you give it to a five... You could use it, though, yeah, as a projectile. Yeah, if you give it to a five-year-old, it becomes a projectile pretty <laughs> right, quickly. So, right. um, so the final cause, though, is that tendency that that brick has universally. And Hume said, well, you know, that's just experience. There, there, there's nothing inherent in the brick that's going to mm. cause the window to shatter we just have this experience over and over again that it's going to happen and it might not right i mean there might be one day right. that we throw the brick. it's kind of a radical skepticism and, right and, and when you throw that brick it's just going to dissolve right right, right. it could happen something and what's laws of nature suspend right. for some reason and, and this this last proof for the existence of god said no everything has these universal tendencies so in some ways this fifth is the appeal to science that 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 Earth is that the, the universe is orderly. There are patterned laws. There yeah. are patterned tendencies. That that things act in set ways that we can measure, we can compute, we can figure out, and the universe will continue to to have these set things. And the orderliness of the universe, it it doesn't just happen automatically. If the universe is orderly, it had to have been patterned sort of at its foundations. Sure. And and so that foundational patterning means that there has to be some sort of universal patterning. And once again, St. Thomas Aquinas kind of says that that which gives the universe its patterns, that is what we call God. So that's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's a good way. I, I, I think that uh, in the last, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen um, decades, it's really been kind of really worked through, I think, especially on the on the Protestant side of things, into an intelligent design theory. Yeah, right? and I think that's what I think. I think a lot of of scholars of of Saint Thomas are very reluctant to I agree. to label it that way. Right, right, right. But, right. but that is a, that is another way that you could it's, look it's an at offshoot it. of it. I think right. it's a kind of offshoot of it. I I think it's I think a, a maybe a real basic way I've come to understand that that fifth way or proof for the existence of God is where you see design, you ascribe a designer. You see, you look uh, at a house, you look at a building, you immediately go, oh, there probably was a blueprint, right? right? It didn't, randomness and chance 
doesn't seem to explain the order that we find. And all of like, uh, maybe not all is too, too strong, too big of a term, but I would say so much of physics, the, dis- the academic discipline of physics has relies on the fact. I mean, think about, think about like, um, uh, think about cosmology. Yeah, if you're going to study cosmology in, the, in in a physics sense of word, not the philosophical sense, it it's it's dep- that whole thing rests upon the fact that planetary motion, for example, can be determined and expressed as abstract an abstract mathematical formula. So that's a real that, that to me right. is very convincing. Like, how can you have you can open up a physics book that's looking at astronomy and you can see mathematical terms mathematical terms, which are abstract signs that point to a governance of planetary motion. Like there's a direct connectivity one to the other. How is that possible if randomness and chance are really what's governing things? Because uh, they provide no governance. So there's a kind of, there is a governance because there's, we can see order. Right. Yeah. That, that, that argument of governance is a, another very traditional way of looking at this fifth proof that, you know, th- things, things tend to work in certain ways and there must be something directing to a good extent, the way things are acting and the way th- things are working. That thing, which yeah, where is, do these tendencies come from, yeah, right? That's what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. That thing which which is sort of directing and 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 moving everything in, in ordered directions, you know, that which causes the sun to rise and set. You know, that's what we Hume denied that one, too. Yeah, like, did, there's no yeah. guarantee that, you know, <laughs> what guarantee can you give me? This is what Hume would say. Mark, what guarantee can you give me that the sun will rise tomorrow? Uh, you know, kind of insinuating that, Mark, you have no power to um, to to control the sun. So it may just fizzle out tomorrow. And right, that was, and it's just simply faith that you, you yeah, sort of believe and, that there are these patterns. And because and things, it's right. happened in the past, that's your experience. That's how he right. uses experience. And yeah, but boy, try living that way. Try living as if the sun isn't going to come up tomorrow and see how far that gets you. Right, right. Now the big difference between you know the, this idea of of um, final causality. And some notion of intelligent design is the intrinsic nature of these patterns. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as I, as I said, it's hard for us to think of a brick having the tendency to shatter gra- glass, right? But, but you know, that, that tendency, that's part of the nature of that brick, right? Yeah, because it's, it has a certain kind of mass right. to it. It's, the, it's got a certain kind of, uh, again, mat- because of the, the efficient cause, the material cause mm-hmm. of it, and then... You apply you apply acceleration to it. You get which I'm appealing to physics. F equals ma. Force equals mass times acceleration. You now have created a projectile such that again. The, but we didn't talk about the glass itself that it's going to shatter. It has tendencies and properties too. Right. For example, glass is uh, translucent, right? It allows light to go in and out. It has a uh, it has a certain kind of firmness to it, right? It has a certain kind of texture to it, such that when the brick hits it. You it's going it, it to shatter if it's, it's, if it's thin enough right, right. and you so, throw the brick hard enough. Right. So intelligent design, though, says, you know, the, these patterns and things, they're, they're, they're actually blueprints. They're actually some sort of reasoned set mm-hmm. of ideals that are then yeah. that then govern. So it's more like the, 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 the divine watchmaker, where I think for, the, for, for, for Aristotle and, and these, you know, it, this is just the way the universe is. It, it, it has right. patterns. It has right. rules. It, it, you know, all 
all of those are part of the universe. They're not something extrinsic to the universe that's applied to it. So I think that's a big difference. Okay, so we're, we're coming up, and I'm going to I'm gonna throw a, a quiz at you from this. So Okay, say, go ahead. When, when we now, look at the, my typical answers are, uh, if it's multiple choice, I'd like to do A, A, C, B. Okay. Right. So How many when, questions? That's so when, when, regardless of what the answer. Right. Right. So when we talk <laughs> about the uh, when we talk about the, the the five proofs for the existence of God that we just went over, yeah. Saint Thomas often gets accused of throwing out the cosmological argument, and that's actually a fairly controversial thing, right? Um, some people argue that no, Saint Thomas is not. His his five proofs are not the cosmological argument. That's something different. And then other people say, no, those first three that we talked about, that really is the cosmological argument. So first off, what is the cosmological argument? And is is St. Thomas really throwing the cosmological argument out there as a, a way of, of showing God's existence? Well, that's a good question. We'll see if we're on the same page. Here's what I think the cosmological argument is. I, I think the cosmological argument is appeal to... God's divine providence and his creation of the known universe. That's what I think it is. Okay. Would, would you agree with that or no? Yeah, I would think so. You know, it gets expressed in a lot of different ways, but, you know, basically, yeah, what, how, okay, you say it's an appeal. If you were to state the argument, how would you state it? I would say that, uh, um, I guess the cosmological argument is the, uh, the affirmation of objective reality that transcends subjectivity. Okay, so how does that sound? So where's Joseph when we need so him? So things exist. <laughs> so things exist. Therefore, there must be a God. Well, uh, things exist with certain kinds of innate properties. Um, so I, I would say, I, I guess, I would say the cosmological argument. Um, would be a way would be a kind of summary actually of all five of those proofs. I guess I, I would look at it that way. I would say if you take all five of those proofs and put them together, you see you can look at the cosmos. So the cosmos I would say is different from the universe from Aquinas's vantage point. The universe I think we would uh oh we're gonna run out of time. We might have to have a whole another show. The universe I think is this uh, kind of a contemporary secular view of stuff being made up of uh, atoms and molecules um, and with a, with a presumption of atheism. The cosmos, though, I think ascribes to a supreme being that we call God the creation and establishment of all things in as part of a grand design we call providence, such that things have, uh, that all, all motion begins, uh, you have a first mover, you have a first cause, um, and that laden across the cosmos is intelligibility and potentiality, like all the seeds for things that actually have happened or will happen are already present in the cosmos. Right. And, and you know, the, the that's a big question, Mark. It, it, I, give me a, give well, me a little I prep know, time. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, and, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to take up the, the cosmological argument in a, a future show. And with that, we're going to wrap up this week's Catholic cave where we have made every attempt that we possibly could to prove that there is a God, even though we all know that there is. So until next time for Mark Tuttle, for Timothy O'Donnell, I'm Kent Blanford. Be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. 
Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.